Hello, my oral surgery friends. This is your host, Dr. Grant Stuckey. In this podcast, you will hear surgeons discussing ways to improve the practice of oral and maxillofacial surgery. The goal of this podcast is to evaluate every aspect that a surgeon can improve in order to create a better experience for patients, staff, and the surgeon. Most of the information shared in this podcast will be based on personal experience and opinions. The methods discussed are meant to provoke thought and should be supplemented with research into the approved studies prior to making changes to one's way of practice. Without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Hey guys, before the podcast today, I just wanted to mention a great course that's coming up. This is a great opportunity to learn zygomatic pterygoid implants by our own Arshia Sharafi. He's a good friend of mine. He's been on the podcast. His episode was awesome. You should listen to it. But it is in Southern California on March 18th and 19th, 8.30 to 5 p.m. And it's a cadaver course, so it's going to be awesome. You can look it up through 4M Institute. And you can contact me or him as well if you have other questions. But please look into this and try to go if you can because it's going to be awesome. All right. Enjoy the episode today, guys. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. Today, we are talking to Dr. Kavir Rajkumar. He is a dentist practicing in South Africa who basically specializes in oral and maxillofacial surgery. Kavir reached out to me after listening to some of our episodes and wanted to discuss and talk a little bit about some of the things he's doing. And I'm super excited uh, to talk to him today. Kavir, thanks so much for joining us. And, you know, first question for you is if you could give us a little bit of background on your current situation and, and how you got to where you're at. Yeah, so I'm doing oral surgery and I'm plating a few bones. I'm resecting a few mandibles. Yeah, we're doing quite a few biopsies and fixing a few mandibles as well. But, you know, in terms nice. of qualification, I'm still a dentist. But I'm okay. you know, fortunate enough to be working in a state hospital in South Africa for the past nine years. It's okay. very difficult to, you know, be able to get these positions. And, you know, I'm so grateful to have them because in order to do your love job from day one is frustrating, but beautiful right from the start. So yes, I'm grateful yes. for that. Yes, yes. So for me, you know, let me just go way back to when I first went to theater. I was actually in theater as a patient twice. First, as a kid, when I was about four years old, to remove my terrible deciduous teeth. And the okay. second time was to get my impacted molars removed, my wisdom teeth. Nice. And the third time, I was actually assisting repairing a cleft lip and palate on a baby. And it oh, was, wow. yeah, it, it was that moment when I knew this is all I ever needed to do with my life. There was nothing more. You know, Crown and Bridge is cool, but this is where it's at for me. And from there, I just spent the rest of my university career and subsequent years focusing on getting all of the ATLS, the ACLS, BLS, basic surgical skills, postgraduate qualifications, publications, all based and streamlined in maxillofacial and oral surgery. Nice, nice. And how did you end up in South Africa? So I'm born and bred in South Africa. So, you know, it's an absolutely gorgeous country here. It's beautiful. Just today we had uh, 32 degrees weather. If I translate that to you guys, I think that's about 98 degrees Fahrenheit. And uh, wow. you know, 
Yeah, so this is normal for our summers, and sometimes it gets as crazy in Pietermaritzburg to about 42 degrees. That makes it, I think, 107 degrees Fahrenheit. So it gets a bit hot here. It's gorgeous. It's a beautiful country in terms of the landscape. And within a few minutes, you can meet literally the big five in the world. I'm talking about lion, leopard, buffalo, elephant, the works. It's absolutely gorgeous. When you get some time, you better come over here and see what we've got to show you. Yes, I would love that. Yeah, I'm in Colorado and today it's 32 degrees as well, but that's Fahrenheit. Yes. I think zero degrees Celsius. (laughs) Oh boy. Well, good. That's awesome. And so you work in what type of setting? You're in a hospital or what, what do you do? So I'm in a tertiary hospital in Pietermaritzburg, and we've got a massive referral base that spans across. I'm open to correction here, but I think it's around 200 square kilometers, a referral base. So it's a massive area which we drain. It's a state facility, and we see everything ranging from impacted wisdom teeth all the way up to trauma pathology in terms of malignancies, benign tumors, TMJ disorders. Yeah, and quite a few, I'd say, tricky extraction patients. Not that the teeth are difficult to remove, but the patient actually, their management is a little bit tricky and needs a bit more care than just what's available at the nearest clinic. So just to give you a little bit of background, the way our system works in South Africa in terms of state facilities is that close to most people, even in rural settings, you've got little clinics close by. And if their needs or the conditions which they've, the local nurses or uh, GP doctors have identified at that place, have identified a problem or diagnosed them with a condition, they need to escalate that to meet their needs of care. I'm sure this is worldwide. And a lot of the times they end up with us where we're needing to sort them out. So this is where we see, we're quite a busy clinic in Peter Marisburg. We usually get to see around 100 new patients a week. This is excluding reviews. And so a lot of the time, what we're doing is a lot of local anesthetic-based surgical treatment for our patients. So we're doing a lot of wiring under local anesthesia. We're doing a lot of biopsies under local anesthesia, impacted molars under local as well. If we're lucky, we get to uh, do some sedation with the anesthesiologists. So for us okay. here in South Africa, it's a little bit different from you guys. I think you guys do a lot of anesthesia and sedation yourselves, whereas for us, it's yeah. more split into different disciplines. So for us, what we do quite often is we manage the patient under sedation on our own. And if it's still not successful, the patient's still not comfortable, we have to escalate them up to full general anesthesia. Got it. Okay. That's interesting. And then in order to do, you know, surgical cases, I mean, in South Africa, is all you need a dental degree or what kind of stuff do you have to have in order to do like a cleft case or a a mandibular fracture repair? So Grant, that's quite a tricky one. I think the safest way to answer this is you're welcome to do something as long as you've got number one, the ability to manage the complication or at least the know-how of knowing what to do if there's a complication of whatever you're doing. And secondly, is it within your domain in terms of are you going to tramp on people's toes if you do it otherwise? So for us, for example, at our hospital, we don't attend to cleft lip and palate. However, at different cities, maxillofacial oral surgeons do cleft lip and palates as well as plastic surgeons. 
So I think it's almost a zoning thing for us here. So yeah, that's, I think, different in a lot of places. But for in terms of to qualify or to be board certified maxillofacial and oral surgeon, we recognize two pathways in South Africa. The first is a dental qualification and then five years full-time speciality. That's your master's qualification. And we call that a MCHD, so Master Surgical Dental. And then the second one is, I think, the way the rest of the planet or most of the, let's call it first world countries are going towards where it's a medical, a dental degree, and then some further training as well. Got it. Got it. Okay. However, if you don't follow the medical pathway to get your qualification, you'll still do the rotations through general surgery, trauma surgery, ENT, plastic surgery. So all of that fits within. It's just that it's possible you may not get reciprocity. For example, if I qualify as a maxillofacial surgeon in South Africa, I may not be recognized in the United States. But what I find a lot of guys doing is that they may register as an oral surgeon instead. Oh, okay. Got it. And so what do you spend the bulk of your time doing? I mean, is it mostly pathology or is it trauma? Like what type of stuff do you do? Grant, here in South Africa, I think the problem we have is that I think the best description for South Africa is it's a beautiful land of contrasts. So okay. you get the absolute luxury in terms of the houses that are 13 and 14 bedroom houses, just keeping a few bodies in this home. And you get the absolute opposite with people living in squalor in shanty towns and you get maybe something like 10 square meters with about five, seven or eight people living within that. You know, the contrast is massive. You get gorgeous places like Cape Town and Table Mountain. And just a few kilometers from there, you get the townships within, close to Cape Town as well. So as I say, you know, the contrasts are massive. There are people who, unfortunately, here in South Africa, I think that a, a one of our biggest issues is the social inequalities. And, you know, we're a very young democracy. It was only in 1994 when apartheid was abolished in South Africa. So we're still trying to find our feet with all of this. You know, we've got social injustice. We've got corruption. We've got guys who are just trying to take advantage of things they never had before. And unfortunately, this is not the right way to go about building a new nation. So for us, at least at Peter Marisburg, we find a lot of alcohol-related injuries, and majority of these are interpersonal violence. Naturally, you'll find these around the days of your paydays. So some people are paid the 15th of the month, and others are paid during the month end. So this is where you'll find your natural spikes in your trauma for the month. Most of it is interpersonal violence. It is a mandible fracture, your usual nasal bone fractures. And then, you know, it, it ranges from there to PVAs, MVAs, and then you get really, really nasty. I'm talking about stabs, bush knives, what we call a shambok, which is in essence a a very short, broad whoop. So again, interpersonal violence on a really gruesome and brutal level. The MVAs and PVAs, we still find that. And then I think the other thing which I love about Peter Marisburg is that we are a, a small metropolitan, but we do get the rural referrals as well. 
you will still get a horse kick to face. You will get a cow mauling to the patient's face. So gruesome stuff, but you, you still, yeah, you get a very broad variety in terms of or your mechanisms of injury in trauma relations. You still get your bricks to the face, your stones to the face, your falls, parasuicide attempts, all of these you find as well. So, you know, I think being exposed to this is uh, massive. You know, we see some of the guys from Holland coming to visit us to see or, or to rotate through our trauma units. And these guys, they've been doing general surgery for quite a while. And, you know, they've only read about gunshot faces, gunshot abdomens. I think it's reasonable that we go through a few every day here in South Africa. At my facility, at least, yes. Wow. Then, you know, the other major pathology which we're finding or major facet of maxillofacial oral surgery which we're finding is pathology. Grant, I'm just going to jog back your memory here. HIV and AIDS, you know, it's been put on the back burner just a little bit ever since COVID popped up. But Southern Africa is one of the largest population bases burdened by HIV and AIDS. And we still find newly diagnosed patients with this every now and then. Yeah, so, you know, it's still something there. Unfortunately, I've had needle stick injuries and wire pricks to my fingers. You know, touch wood, I don't have it again, but I've had it 10 times in nine years. So it's a bit much. But yeah, you know, it's the reality of what we're exposed to. So, you know, yeah, this is what we've got. We started seeing quite a few TMJ patients popping in. Luckily, none needing the full-on joint replacements yet for us, at least at Peter Marisburg. But we do have a unit in Durban, which we refer that to close by, luckily. So, you know, we are able to manage the smaller ones in terms of the bite plate therapy, adjusting the occlusion, orthodontic referral, atherocentesis. So minor forms of management for those cases. But in terms of the rest, we're able to effectively manage quite a lot of our patients on our side. Nice. Okay. And I saw you texted me the other day, you, you had a malunion case. Can you talk a little bit about that case that you had? Yes, yes. Okay. So this poor gentleman, unfortunately, was involved in a gunshot face and he had a tracheostomy, luckily. So he was able to, you know, breathe successfully, you know. So you just bring me back to another point that I'm thinking about, you know, very often our medical colleagues don't really understand our place in the trauma patient. So very often they're like, oh, dude, yeah, but there's facial bones broken here. But you know what? Just hang on a bit. You know, we'll call you when we're ready. I'm like, hang on. Did you assess the mouth correctly? Are you sure this man's airway is actually patent? Did you notice this loose tooth here? It's about to be gone, dislodged into his airway, which is actually A of ATLS. Did you know this? Then you see the guys quickly, you know, oh, hang on. Okay, sure. Go ahead and assess this guy, please. Why don't you? You know, so I think it's important for us as oral health care providers across the board to let the other specialities know, hey, listen, the mouth is part of this patient as well. Don't forget about us. I think very often us as dentists, we are like, oh, no, this guy doesn't need any fillings. You can hang on a little bit. You know, sometimes it is true. Sometimes it is true where we don't need to intervene very early. But others, I think, you know, I've been called upon and acted numerous times early on in terms of the treatment or management of a trauma patient so that this guy was actually managed adequately early rather than needing a bronchoscopy to retrieve a tooth dislodged into right main bronchus later on. I'm sure it's happened to you a few times as well. Yep. Wow. And so you ended up taking that guy to do an open reduction or what did you do for him? 
sorry, let's get back to that. I got sidetracked, Vikran, sorry. So yes, you know, we took the guy through to theater. We managed to do an open reduction for him. And, you know, the Panorex, which we shot for this man, I didn't count on there being a dental alveolar fracture as well, because he had this bilateral mandible fracture, comminuted on both sides, non-union, and there was a dental alveolar fracture. So he actually had this rotation, anterior rotation of that dental segment. So it was a little bit tricky. We managed to do it. It took a little bit longer, but I think we got a very successful result in the end. So, you know, I, I think the important thing here, and this I was lucky enough to be exposed to early on in my career, is that if it's not done the way you think or you plan, you got to improvise. You can't just stop and give up right there. you got to have a plan. And if that plan does not work, it's okay. But think of another way to get to move on with what you need to do. And, you know, a lot of the time for us, our patients, they are not, I would say, managed optimally in terms of their mandible fractures, if I can say. For example, not every guy who's got a non-union gets a free flap or a bone graft all the time. But we restore them back to a functional position. And that guy is happy with that at that point in time. And if he does have any issues, he's welcome to come back and we attend to it at, that, at a later stage. So this, luckily, he was, you know, not needing any more than that. So we were very lucky in terms of what we were able to achieve for him. So, yeah, you know, Grant, a lot of the times, the majority, or can I say a lot of the cases, nothing much changes. It's still a fracture mandible. It doesn't matter where you are. We can be in United States. We can be in Canada, Australia, South Africa, and fracture mandible is still a fracture mandible. A displaced fracture still needs to be reduced with RF plates and screws. That does not change. You know, okay, uh, tongue in cheek here, you know, you guys, you have your American notation for, you know, your dental nomenclature, but you guys call that the universal nomenclature or universal, what do you say, coding for teeth? Can I use that term? But, you know, here in yeah. South Africa, we use the PAMO, the FDI notation. <laughs> but in the end of the day, if you tell me, listen, Kavir, um, you're going to extract tooth number 14, what are you going to use? So I'll be like, I think I know what you're talking about, Grant, because which system are you using? But we're still speaking the same language. We understand and we know what we need to do. So I think for us, that is important globally, that we can still speak the same language. Trauma is trauma internationally. Pathology is pathology internationally. It doesn't change. And I'm sure you deal with your own set of, uh, you know, issues and problems. I don't know exactly what resources you have at your hospital, but can you talk to us a little bit about, you were telling me you were having some issues with your hand pieces kind of burning out. Yes, very recently, I think you had on your show a guest who spoke quite nicely and eloquently about the technology and the equipment he's kitted out his practice with. And that's where I, you know, then sent you an email and said, hey, have a look at what we're going through here. You know, unfortunately, you know, sometimes we've got a staff shortage issues in theater. There have been numerous times where, you know, the cleaners are not there to mop up the theater. And I've taken on that, just grab a mop and sweep it. You know, it, it doesn't mean that, oh, because you're the dentist or the doctor in the theater, you can't get down and dirty and actually mop a floor. There's, there's nothing stopping anyone from doing that. Again, improvise, achieve, do what needs to be done to achieve the greater goal for the day. So, you know, a lot of the times what happens is our nurses needing to, after the case, they're needing to get their paperwork done. 
They're needing to get their sets cleaned and sterilized and autoclaved. And very often they forget about our dental handpiece, guys. Our dental handpiece is neglected. You know, so often you'll find this still connected to the electric drill and you, you know this thing has not been oiled within a few days, let alone immediately. You know, we've burned through so many handpieces. It's been quite exciting, to be honest. I think that's the best descriptive word I can use, exciting. You know, sometimes when you latch on a 703 bird to your straight handpiece and you just hit the foot pedal, the whole handpiece starts spinning rather than just the bird. Uh, these things get red hot. You see some smoke coming out of these. It's exciting stuff. You know, so we've sent a hell of a lot off to repairs. You know, we've tried all the brands from BNR to NSK, Macromega. We've cooked all of them here in Peter Marisburg. All of them. Nothing outlasts us. <laughs> so, you know, I find that just a few simple tips. Again, you know, I'm going to say this, that if it's not the nurses who's going to do it, there's nothing wrong for us to take on that onus as the doctor, as the surgeon in the theater to go and oil this handpiece. It literally takes 30 seconds using those oiling machines at Peter Marisburg in, in the hospital we use. I think it's called an NSK K3 oiling system. You get your oiling handpiece, you know, but I'm not always there to do this. So what I've done is I did a little bit of research and asking around and a lot of the veteran maxillofacial oral surgeons here, they're very good hunters and good shots. So they said, now, why are you wasting your time with this? Why don't you use gun oil? So I didn't understand this quite nicely. So I went to my near nearest outlanding and four by four shop, bought myself a half a liter of this. And what the little canister says is that it micro-mechanically binds to the little metal components of your firearm. And this allows it to be lubricated properly. And you know what? We've significantly reduced our number of handpiece failures. I don't think the manufacturers will quite agree with me here. And yeah, I hope they're not watching this. But, you know, at the end of the day, we just want handpieces that work and we don't want patients' lips fried and burnt. Because in the end of the day, it's us who take on that responsibility. When we see our patients for follow-up, we got to explain, listen, man, I'm sorry about your lip. You know, I didn't mean it, but yeah, I'm sorry. It's not nice. <laughs> so, you know, at that point as well, to blame your nurse for not oiling your handpieces is not going to be adequate either. So, you know, again, I say, you know, we need to take on that onus to create a system or to create some sort of ease or flow so that we get what we need and we need optimal patient care. That, that's it. So what I've done is I've offloaded this half liter into a little bucket and we literally throw the handpieces in there to soak. And I still run it through the NSK K3 as well so that it spins and well lubricated. The junk that comes out from some of these things is shocking. It really is. And after that, we autoclave it. So, you know, at least the sterilization process is kept in order and at least the handpieces survive. So, you know, we, yeah, touch wood again, we haven't had any burnt lips for a while. So, so it's working a little bit. So that's something I just want guys to think about a little bit. And, you know, it's very easy to throw this task into our dental assistants or operative nurses. But, you know, ever since COVID and ever since this pandemic has started, you just started thinking a little bit further. Hang on, what is somebody else going through if this is how I'm feeling? So it just gives us a little bit of empathy and sympathy, actually, to understand other people's situations. And it, it just pushes you just a little bit further. 
just to get things done. And that's all we want at the end of the day is to get adequate patient care and to get home to our loved ones. I think there's nothing more anybody else can ask for. Yep, definitely. You know, I've been on some mission trips and it's always frustrating when you're trying to deal with maybe equipment or staffing issues and that's not quite what you're usually used to. And it can be very hard to adjust your mindset and think, you know, like you're saying, like, it's okay that I, whatever, sweep the floor or, you know, push, roll the patient into the room, even though usually that's not my job. Sometimes we got to do it. You got to do. That's right. That's right. You know, it's happened, unfortunately. And, you know, I've also had to fetch a patient once or twice. I remembered everything, you know, except the patient's file, but I got the patient and I got the consent. So I think I got two points on that, but I failed in every other way. So, you know, it's learning in the end. And again, it puts yourself in somebody else's shoes to understand what they're going through rather than just making a moan in theater why you can't get on with the day. So just changing that perspective is an important thing. And, you know, uh, again, here I'm going into putting, I digress again, but anyway, you know, last year, August, I had COVID myself. And I didn't know that, you know, this chest pain that you feel is something that, you know, is something you don't need to be terribly worried about. Most people do have it. I didn't accept it. You know, I went and investigated it fully. I did my D-dimers and my clotting profiles, bloods, and I went as far as to go and do CT angio chest CT. And that thing is so painful. It stings. You feel nauseous. And, you know, I think it's, it's an important thing for doctors to go through what our patients go through because it's so easy for us to say, Ah, you know, you've got fractures here. I don't like the CT. It's an old one. I think you should get a new one. Go through it and feel how much that is because it's not fun. It's very humbling being a patient. And I think it's important for us to understand that. Again, putting ourselves in our patient's shoes. Yes, you may very well need it, but it's not a decision that should be taken lightly is what I'm saying. Oh, for sure. I was going to ask you, when you're doing trauma cases, do you always have the adequate, you know, plates and screws that you want? Or do you usually lock people down and do IMF or how does it work? No, Grant, we're very lucky here. You know, we've got very good support from the international companies. We've got Walter Lorenz, Select Surgical. We've got KLS Martin. We've got Synthes. We've got the big this year and their support has been phenomenal for us. You know, we're able to send them the CT scans in your raw DICOM format. They're able to do cutting guides and prevent plates and custom TMPs. Wow. We've got all of it available to us. You know, nice. we're very fortunate. You know, there's nothing really to complain of. That's great. And then you were also mentioning to me that you do deal with some malignant pathology. Is that correct? Grant, for us in Peter Marisburg, most of the time, we're more responsible for the biopsy of these. So identifying the okay. this is then usually managed by ENTs for the head and neck dissections. Popped in a few times to have a look at that because those are extensive surgeries and something that, you know, we do need to be aware of. But unfortunately for me personally, I haven't done any of those. But I've been involved in numerous of those types of surgeries. I've done a lot of mandible resections as well for ameloblastomas. We find a lot of them here in South Africa. Really? Yes. I think in a year, we'll go through about 30 to 40 of them. Wow. Yeah, a lot of them, a lot of ameloblastomas. Just last year, we 
actually diagnosed a malignant variety of it. And in 2008, you, you know, South Africa, as I said, you know, it's weird and wonderful here. We find some weird stuff. One of the patients I diagnosed with an unbelievably large tumor, and the patient had a carcinosarcoma mandible. And from my literature researches, I didn't find many mandibles. I think there were three or four case reports uh, published worldwide. So, you know, we do find them. They, they are there. And I think personally, for us as South Africans, I don't think we're writing up as much as the other countries. And this is where a lot of people don't realize what we have to show off here. A lot of the time, our tumors are huge. They are what you see on your mercy ships and things like that. You know, they're larger than what you'd like. <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. I was also going to ask, you know, if you run into any difficult like social communication issues in South Africa that maybe we wouldn't have here in the, in the United States with the history of apartheid and things like that. Do you ever have problems? Absolutely, Grant. Now, if you go back, let me just ask you, how many official languages do you have in the United States? <laughs> I mean, I think it's one. <laughs> We've got 11, dude. We've got 11. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. So I'm fluent with three of them. For me, KwaZulu wow. Natal, you know, it's English, Afrikaans, and Zulu, which I'm communicative in. So, you know, we're able to converse quite well with those. But if you were to uproot me to a different province, I would struggle. So, you know, naturally, those are the difficulties you'd find. But uh, bearing in mind, each and every hospital should have some staff which are dedicated translators. So if you find someone, say, for example, from Ethiopia speaking Burr, you would find through your hospital communication systems someone who's able to communicate with that patient. Because if you're not able to communicate with your patient, have you actually got consent from this guy? And the answer is no, you don't. So you're not able to effectively manage this guy. Ethically, you failed. So it's not adequate. So luckily for us, we've got a diverse culture setting in South Africa. I'm sure you've heard this. We call the Rainbow Nation Grant, and it's not for no reason. We've got lots of different nationalities, ethnic groups, and backgrounds which come in. Now, something which may be of interest for you guys, but is, is very ingrained in our understanding of our patients we see, is we have a lot of belief in our patients and their understanding is that they needing to communicate with their ancestors. Now, ancestors, literally people who have passed before them. So you're talking about great-grandparents, grandparents, and the like. So very often you find people or patients saying, listen, I need to defer my treatment here. I understand that I need this, but I think I need to consult my ancestors before I'm able to go ahead with the surgery. So they need blessings. And, you know, I think it's very easy for someone who doesn't understand this to say, that's complete nonsense. What are you talking about? You need the surgery, my friend. But it's important to understand that if you put ourselves in the issues, just like I said earlier, Grant, if I don't know what to do with a patient, I consult my superior or consultant and say, hey, listen, this is what I've got here. This is what I think needs to happen. What do you think? What do you think needs to happen here? And the exact same thing is happening just with somebody else in a different setting. So I think we can be very quick to judge, but if you just put it in terms that we can relate in, it's easy to understand. And, you know, I did a case presentation of a girl with a, I think it was upper lip cancer and a squamous cell carcinoma in the upper lip 
seven-year-old, I believe it was the youngest in the world at that point when it was published in the South African Dental Journal. And this girl, she presented to the clinic with her mom, but she refused to go ahead with the resection surgery for this, quoting the exact same thing. They believed they were being punished because they did not fulfill certain needs by the ancestors. So, you know, there's a lot of allied healthcare, which is important and is very vital for us uh, here in South Africa, getting these patients optimally treated. Thankfully, a few months later, the patients did return and they had been counseled and they were at a state of mind where they were happy to go ahead with the surgery and thank goodness that was successful. But, you know, these are the challenges which we have here. And again, as I say, it's a land of beautiful contrasts. You get your super elite, ultra wealthy, just wanting to come in and get there all on six with complete porcelain completed within a day. And then you get the exact opposite as I described right now. Yeah, it sounds like you're dealing with a lot more variety in cases and also social situations than probably most of us deal with. That's pretty awesome. The whole point of anyone along their journey of oral surgery, irrespective of where you are, you know, as I say again, I'm just a dentist. I'm not pretending to be a maxillofacial and oral surgeon, but I do adore this field. And even though it's just the head and neck where we work in, it's still so diverse and so wide that even after nine years, I'm still surprised by the things we see. Just last week, I had a patient who had undiagnosed HIV AIDS. He, you know, just recently started his ARVs and his CD4 counts were through the way in his boots and his viral load was sky high. This man had a complete necrotic maxilla, zygoma and orbit floor. And this entire chunk of bone had sequestered. So, you know... We had to take this guy into theater and get him, you know, removed. And yeah, you know, it's, as I say, beautiful contrast. It's weird and wonderful, which we see here. You know, I've been lucky enough to be exposed to removing four knives from faces. And, you know, one of the guys who I was with, very experienced consultant surgeons, they used a technique which I had never even dreamt of. Let me ask you, for example, Grant, let's say, how would you go about removing a knife from a face? You'd be tempted just to grab it and pull it out, but, Quite. you know, <laughs> probably not the best situation. What was the technique you learned? So, you know, naturally, the CT angio is done to make sure that you're not going to lacerate any vessels on your way out. And then, you know, initially you try grab and yank. And if that fails, then the technique which I saw was the wire which we use for IMF is literally tied to one end of the blade and the other end is tied to a mallet. Then a second mallet is used to hit onto that mallet to reverse it out. Oh my. So neat, it is so clean. I'll send you a video of mine and hopefully we can get this to your listeners as well. You know, the people who know me a lot, I use the word sexy a lot in surgery. And one of the other consultants which I worked with, he says, you must operate like James Bond. The girls want to be with you and the boys want to be just like you because of the way you operate. And that is the definition of sexy. And when you see your post-op x-rays and things like that, just silently give yourself a pat on the back and say that because, you know, again, we feel to work in Grant. We're working on people's identification. They're very sort of what the world defines them as. I know you, Grant, because of your face. And we work on that. We operate on that. We're given the permission to operate on that on a daily basis. 
And we need to be understanding and we need to be grateful of that responsibility we've been given. So, you know, that's something just to take into consideration quite often. That's awesome. Well, uh, it's pretty incredible. And it's, I think it's really good for us to hear someone like you because, I mean, of course, almost all of the listeners and I shouldn't say listeners, but the guests on our show are from the United States. And probably we live kind of a sheltered life in our world of doing things. But it's so great to hear what you do and the fact that you are a general dentist. But I mean, you pretty much are doing mostly just all oral maxillofacial surgery and a lot of great cases that I'm sure we could all learn from. Tell me this, do you have an oral and maxillofacial trained surgeon at your hospital or are those pretty rare in South Africa? Look, Grant, I think the last time I checked, we've got about 200 currently practicing in the country and we're lucky enough to have three at our hospital currently. So, you know, we've got okay. them there and they're a wealth of knowledge. I think the combined operating uh, years is about 80 or 90 amongst them. So, you know, it's nice. massive, massive, massive wealth of information amongst them. You know, I cut my teeth in maxillofacial surgery doing zygoma suspension wires with the great awls and zygoma lifts with big bone hooks. And only after that did they show me, okay, now you know how to do that, but this is what you should be doing. And this is the better way to do it because this is cleaner. It is more better long term. Yes. <laughs> I think it's really nice. You know, one of the guys we're working with, he's actually completed his training when there were still no plates and screws available. It wasn't available. So all fractures were, were reduced with wire osteosynthesis, you know. And at that point, you know, you were not, it was not considered macho if you wore gloves in the operating room. You know, that's how far back this guy goes. Wow. Yeah. So, you know, it's quite interesting listening to their experiences and their stories. And, you know, anyone can always learn from absolutely anyone. It should never be that the least experienced person in any situation should be ignored. You'll be surprised at what you can pick up if you're just willing to give them a chance. I totally agree. Wow, that's awesome. I also kind of wanted to ask about if you're willing to field questions from people, you know, if they maybe there's other surgeons in settings like yours. Are you okay if they contact you to Absolutely discuss some right. of the things? Um, my email address is k-a-v-i-r-r-a-j at gmail.com. You have my email grant. You can post that up on the link as well. I've got an Instagram and you've got my cell phone number as well. So you're welcome to share all of that. I'm happy to help anyone in any situation as far as I can. You know, it, it's so cool to connect with someone from different places and countries throughout the world. And as I said, a fracture is still a fracture. It doesn't matter where you are. So, you know, it's always interesting seeing a different way to manage the same. Yep. Well, good. We're going to end our podcast with some rapid fire questions. The first one is, <laughs> what is the best book you've read in the past year? Okay. So, yeah, I think I'm grateful that we actually did this podcast now because I keep on telling people, you know, I'm illiterate. I don't read. I only look at knitters and look at the pictures in knitters. So, you know, one of the guys who I consider my demigod for maxillofacial and oral surgery was recently ill and he's not doing so great. So the most interesting book is When Breath Becomes Air by Carl Kalanathi. And, you know, it was just something that I needed to get into realizing this idol of mine was not 
as bulletproof as I thought they were. So, you know, I think this book was very powerful in terms of speaking to that sense for me. And in essence, we all just flesh and bones, Grant, we're nothing more. And often we think we're more than that. So this book for me was very powerful. I think it's the first one I've read since I left school. So as I said, I'm very grateful that you caught me in the right time. The rest of my literature is all textbooks and articles. So yeah, you caught me in the right time. Yes, that's a great book. I read it about six months ago and I just loved it. And very, very profound. It really gives you a better perspective on life and how we should be thinking about our patients and our family. It's, it's, it's great. Absolutely. My next question is, what non-oral surgery thing do you do or have you done in your life that helps you with your daily oral surgery skills? Grant, without doubt, it's trying to look after my kids. I think trying to get socks on one, trying to get pants on the other and multitasking, get them all bathed and cleaned. And, you know, thank God for my wife. My wife, Dr. Ambrose, she's a dentist as well, and she is phenomenal. I don't know what these kids or I would be without her. But yeah, I think just trying to multitask and getting all of these things done just in time before you drop them off at school, I think that's just put me in, you know, when I get back to work, I'm able to just rapid fire so much faster than the other guys because I've got the adrenaline pumping and I'm planning about five or six steps ahead. So yeah, definitely that's what it is. Yeah, I can definitely relate to that. You know, I have several kids myself and they teach you patience, you know, they teach you humility. There's just so many character traits that small children can quickly teach you that will help you with your patience as well. Absolutely. So that's a good point. My next question is, what forceps do you use to remove tooth number five? And how would you number that? How do you guys do the numbering? So number five. So this will be, let me say, is this your first quadrant, first premolar? Am I right? Yes. All right. So I'd use a universal maxillary forcep for this. Nothing fancy. But I must just throw in there that I love the Kuplin's elevator. I think, you know, I've got this thing everywhere in the house except for the cutlery cabinet. Uh, you know, I've got an old Kuplin's which I use to, you know, undo the screws on my son's remote control to change batteries out. I got one in my car just in case I need it. I love a Kuplin's. So I pretty much stick a Kuplin's in anything if I could. What the heck is a Kuklin? I'm not sure what that is. All right. I'll send you a pic of it, Grant, but it's literally a straight dental elevator, but it's got a little gutter on the tip of it. So I'll send you a pic of that. I don't know if you guys maybe call it something else, you know? Yeah. You know, again, this is why it's so exciting, you know, speaking to someone from somebody else, like, uh, sorry, from a different country. You guys use a Minnesota a lot. And for us, we don't use that at all. You know, my son's name is Austin. So, you know, we use an Austin's retractor quite a lot and we use a a Vida retractor quite a lot. So, yeah, it's cool and interesting. I'll send you a pic. I'm sure there's another name for it, but I I call it a Kuplins and I think that's what it's called. But I'll send you a pic. Maybe you can tell me what this is called. (laughs) Okay. That sounds good. Do you use the ash forceps or no? Yeah, we use that. You know, unfortunately, and I'm sorry for the guys who are listening here and the reps. Yes, we use things where we're not supposed to use them. You know, we use ash often. You know, sometimes we use rongers to plug out teeth. Yeah. And, you know, to the younger guys, this is not what you should be doing. You should be doing it differently, but it's what we do, unfortunately. Yes, exactly. Oh, that's too funny. My next question is, what is your favorite movie? 
Do you watch movies in South Africa? Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, Grant, we've got Netflix, we've got YouTube, we've got a lot here. You better come over, man. It's not just, you know, wildlife here. We've got a lot going for us here, Grant. <laughs> I think my all-time favorite movie has got to be Inception. For me, this is a good one. And the other one was Shawshank Redemption. I think, you know, oh, yeah. that beats those. So for me, that's what I've enjoyed quite a lot. Oh, that's awesome. Very, very cool. And I was looking on the map here. It looks like you're a little bit away from the coast, but not too far. Yes, but yeah, yeah. You know, after a tough day's work, it's literally an hour's drive and you're at the coast. So it's really amazing. And, you know, we the Indian Ocean against us. It's really warm. You're talking about water temperature of about 22 to 24 degrees Celsius. I'm not sure what that would be in Fahrenheit. I'm assuming it's about 70 to 80. So it's lovely if you better get over here grant i'm expecting you wow. in months <laughs> i'll come that's so awesome well good and then my last question is what is your favorite quote do you have a quote or a mantra look i can say it's a quote because it's more something i aspire to be and i wish i could be more this rather than it is what i am about and this quote is one day or day one you choose and I think this is so powerful for me because I'm very big on procrastination. I want to do things later when I'm ready for them, when I, they're perfect and when the time is right. And for me, it's just a reminder that they're never going to be all right. So you'd rather get on with it and get cracking with whatever you got planned because we can plan and plan and plan and then life happens. So you'd rather get on with it as soon as you can. That's cool. It's kind of like, are you thinking about doing something one day or do you want it to start today and be day one of starting your journey on whatever it is? Yeah. So that I think is something quite powerful and something I want to try and aim towards because we all want to do something cool and different, but are you actually going to get there? And if you don't make the plan and actually take the plunge, you're most likely never going to get there. So this is what I am about and I need to follow this advice. So this is why this quote quite speaks to me. Awesome. Well, Kavir, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us today. It's really enlightening for me to talk to surgeons from other cultures, countries, and situations. I think we can all learn from each other. So I really appreciate it. Thank you. Grant, thank you so much. It's an absolute honor and pleasure to be on your show. And thank you so much. Just keep the episodes coming. I listen to you whenever I can through your podcast in traffic. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. And I love what you're doing here. Keep it going. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good day and good luck with your kids. Thank you so much. You too. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Everyday Oral Surgery. If you are an oral and maxillofacial surgeon and would like to be on this podcast, please email me at grantstukey at gmail.com or text me at 720-441-6059. Also, if you have any topics that you would like to hear discussed or feedback on a certain episode that has already aired, please call or email or text me. Thanks again for listening. We'll catch you on the next episode.